This is how we overcome it. Moving on, keep it up. Reaching to the world. Arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So friends, we're in our final episode of our series that we've been doing for the past several weeks on the unspoken God. Um, we have said how so often in church, we base a lot of what we know about God on on what is spoken, what we say, what we hear in church, what we read in scripture. But we've been spending some time looking at things in ways that God speaks to us in, in other ways, um, how God speaks to us in the silence and in nature and how the things that we say that God isn't is a way of telling us who God is. So Sarah, where are we wrapping up our series with today? So I think that's a really good word. We're wrapping up this series to the best of our ability because the unspoken, unknown God that we worship is, is limitless. And so mm-hmm. we could spend our entire lives exploring this concept um, but I think after a while, our, with our at- short attention spans, we would get bored of that. So we are going to be moving <laughs> on to another topic soon. Um, but we're going to try to l- tie up some loose ends um, and conclude this series to the best of our ability and kind of explore, like, how can we continue to wrestle with this in our own lives, um, even beyond this podcast? And how can we, I think, all, you know, what, what are the things that we do still need to wrestle with? Um, Because I think wrestling is an important part of our faith journey. Um, So one of the things that uh, I've been wrestling with, like we keep kind of coming back to this common theme of when we are looking for God out in the world, um, you know, the God who doesn't necessarily speak audibly to us, but we believe is still speaking to us just in different ways. When we're looking for that God, we tend, we need to root ourselves in scripture so that we know who we are looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that I want to wrestle with today with us is do we, do we do that as a community? And if so, how, or do we do that individually? And what are the guardrails that we need to have in place for both of those activities? I'll go on record as a Lutheran saying both and, right? I mean, like that's the standard Lutheran thing to say, right? And that uh, just like we said at the beginning of the very, very first episode in this series, that even though we're going to be focusing on God's presence or connection to us outside the spoken word, the printed word, the writings of the scriptures and the community that prays together. That doesn't mean we throw those things away, but that we not forget that God also lives outside church walls and outside the covers of our Bibles. Um, And that therefore now we can swing back and say, okay, but how do you make sense of where God is or how do you rightly read where God is in the world? Or what kinds of places should I be looking for God in my lived experience? We need not only the scripture, but each other to help beat those checks and balances for us. I'm not a Lutheran, but I agree, Steve, that it's a both and. Um, You know, coming to Sunday morning and listening to a sermon and hearing the word read is great and an important thing. Um, But that can't be the only biblical knowledge that we have. We have to study scripture on our own. But then we take that study and then we bring it back to that Sunday morning collective gathering or whatever kind of 
Sunday morning or a Sunday school class or a Bible study and bring that back and, and ask those hard questions of, of the scriptures that were like, okay, I read this, but I don't get it. Yeah. You yeah, know, and yeah. I, I need other people to help me understand it because when we just try to figure it out on our own, that can lead to heresy pretty quickly. To me, this almost if feels like careful. this almost feels like saying our job as in particular for us as pastors who are you know leaders of Christian community in, the, in particular kind of gatherings. It's almost like we're the people who run the car maintenance shop. And mm-hmm. like so it is important for the car to be properly fueled and tuned up and have oil and make sure you have transmission fluid. But like if your car has all those things and just sits in the garage, you've missed the point of owning a vehicle. The point of the vehicle is to take you to the place where life happens, your work and your school and your grocery store and like life, right? That similarly, if all we do is just sort of send people out on the world with zero tools for navigating, you're going to break down by the side of the road. Things get disastrous, right? But uh, sometimes church folk, and I will fully admit sometimes Lutherans have really fallen in this pit. We sometimes say the only thing that Christians do, or the the one thing you can say about Christians is we gather around the word and the sacraments as though the only thing Christians ever do is have Sunday morning. And like we stop being Christians when we leave the, the church doors. Right. I mean, nobody intends to say it that way, but man, sometimes it comes out that way. I had a worship professor in seminary who liked to like to say or have the analogy of that worship should be the time that you are charging and Mm -hmm. you are plugged into the community and to God and you you kind of refill your battery so that you can be sent back out into the world to do God's work Yeah, throughout the rest of the week. And then you come back to plug yourself back in, get that recharge. I think she was making like a cell phone analogy. Um, yeah, so so like worship should be that thing that charges you and gives you energy and grounds you yeah. so that you can live the rest of the week in the world. Or maybe it's like at the same time, since we've been talking about how you recognize God in other places, to me, it, I've, I've often thought about uh, public worship or even Bible study as well being like the first page of the Where's Waldo book where it's like, okay, here you see Waldo clearly. You're looking for this guy. He's got the red and white striped shirt. He's got the cane. He's got the hat and the glasses. This is the guy. And then he'll be in all sorts of surprising positions and situations and things throughout the rest of the book. He's there, but how do you know what you're looking for? Here's a place where you see him clearly. Mm-hmm. And part of our conversation, especially last time, was to like put even guardrails on that analogy because God is not just in the things that look one way. Oh, I love this beautiful butterfly. God's there, but God's not in the death's head moth or you know, like the, the things that I don't like. Uh, but like at least some sense of learning to recognize God's presence in part by what should I be looking for? What is God like? And the, the part of what the scriptures and the community do is say, well, God shut up here and here and here. This is maybe what you might be looking for in the in the world around. So yeah, we need both scripture to do that and we need community to do that to help help us see things maybe even that we wouldn't recognize ourselves in scripture. Maybe we should even say too, and I, I try these days to be intentional uh, about talking about the scriptures plural as much as I talk about the Bible singular because of that sense that like it's easy to treat the Bible as though like this is one almanac, you know, that like there's one person who wrote it all and there and sure classically we've said the holy spirit is behind this the the bible sure but like because there are different voices and different contexts and things rather than saying the bible is one answer book and i just bring my question and find what chapter and page is the answer on 
there's going to be times where things are addressed by multiple voices, multiple situations, and they speak or sing in harmony, sometimes in complex harmonies, but with multiplicity rather than mm -hmm. where's the one place the Bible give me the one answer to my question. And that means even to engage with the scriptures, honestly, is already to involve community. I think you had an analogy earlier when we were preparing for this uh, episode that I really liked of um, the Bible being a chorus, like, you know, a choir singing yeah. and harmonizing together. And sometimes that is really clear and beautiful. And then sometimes it kind of gets yeah. a little bit more murky because there's multiple parts singing different parts at the same time. And right. you have to kind of tease out what part you're listening to. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I really like that analogy with the Bible because, you know, there are times, you, you know, there are different genres and they're all singing um, yeah. at the same time. Like, I, I, I like that analogy. And I would I would say if if because that, that analogy has come back to my mind and my theology a lot of times in life, that part of what that means, at least even with my basic understanding of some essentials about music and music theory, is when there's never tension in the harmony, music is terribly boring. But like, you know, mm -hmm. anything that's really beautiful is going to have moments where it's not just all C major chords, but there's going to be uh accidentals there's going to be more complex chords there's going to be you know minor sevenths and there's going to be augmented fourths and things and those aren't mistakes you don't say oh these things are intention it's either got to be all c major or all g major no music needs to be rich that way for it to do what the music needs to do to us um and the, the scriptures have that same kind of attention and i think sometimes uh christians and maybe pastors in particular assume that our job is to remove those tensions and tell people what the one right answer is. Like I, I remember in college reading this book, uh, Hard Sayings of the Bible, and it was a compilation of several different books that were uh, people trying to explain hard sayings from, from the Old Testament, from Paul, from Jesus, whatever. And that when I was in college, college me thought like, this is what being a pastor is. It's explaining away the things that are complicated so that once people know, oh, it's really not that tension isn't really there, or this explains it all problem solved, that our job was smoothing away those things for people. So that it would make it easier for people to believe the things that seemed hard to believe. And the more I've grown in faith, the more I think that's not our job. In some ways, our job is to put those tensions in sharper relief to go, let these things do their work on you. But yeah, voice A over here says this. Voice B over here says this from a different time and place. These are all part of the great cloud of witnesses who were speaking and witnessing to God. But both of these voices are here. Um, and neither of them gets cut out of the Bible because it is uncomfortable or untidy for us. Um, and again, I think responsible Bible reading requires that. And that also then helps us to negotiate when there's tensions between what I read in the Bible and the natural world, too, or when I'm having one of those God moments or something. So that I don't just say, uh, when I have one of those God moments, well, I don't have a Bible verse to back this up. That's true. Sometimes you won't have a Bible verse to back this up. Uh, and vice versa, um, I don't make the mistake of, like we talked about last time, seeing something in nature that seems horrifying and... Um, going, well, I've got to do with this. I've got, I've got to live my life in accordance with this natural world that is terribly cruel. The, the, the voice of scripture offers that community of voices. I I, I also really like, I, so I, I like community, obviously, yeah. but um, I like how multi-layered multi it is in this conversation, right? Because if we think of the Bible writers as a type of community that surrounds us, mm -hmm. uh, the community that has written uh, the scriptures, 
And then there's the community that we find ourselves in, in worship on Sundays or whatever day you go to worship. Um, You know, it's your congregation. It's the community in which you live. It's the people that are surrounding you here and now. Um, But I think it's also the great cloud of witnesses that you Mm -hmm. just mentioned. It's all of those who have helped influence your faith throughout your life. So your, your parents, your grandparents, your old Sunday school teachers when you were a child, um, but also the books that you read, the songs that you sing, all of those people who wrote those things who are helping yeah. to influence how you read the Bible yeah. um, and how you then teach the Bible to, mm-hmm. you know, the children and the young people in your life. Um, yeah. Like it's like it, it's it's so multi-layered. And yeah. I think that that's really fantastic that in in this community, it's really difficult to actually find yourself truly alone because you're influenced by all of these other people. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is is helpful when I think about those people in different times and circumstances and what living out their faith in God looked like, that I'm not necessarily called to duplicate what they did, uh, but to be like, oh, for this person in this context, they found Waldo here. And for this person in this context, living out their faith looked like this, that it it helps stretch my faithful imagination so that I'm not just, oh, well, as long as my life looks pretty much like the people in my immediate social circles right now, I'm doing it right. But to say it's going to look varied. And uh, again, like Lutherans haven't always done a great job of appreciating or recognizing the witness of the saints around us because we get worried about you're going to end up worshiping them or treating them like they're superheroes who weren't also sinners okay that check in in place it's helpful for me to know that you know uh, for dorothy day living in the early 20th century living out her faith meant at all costs i will feed and shelter my homeless neighbors and make sure everybody around me gets to eat and to say not everybody is called to exact that ministry but for her that was the clarity or for dr king this is what it looked like in his life and that the civil rights movement and the uh the the marches and their their response to segregation racism was directly uh an expression of their faith like that to me reminds me that what it looks like in my time and place may be different but there's a bunch of different ways it's like that line christ plays in ten thousand places from that line of the poem that eugene peterson borrowed yeah so are there guardrails to reading or rooting ourselves in scripture in community that we need to have in place there have been sort of two side by side that i wanted to make sure we talked about and both of them please forgive my nerdiness come out of a star wars moment <laughs> um so uh in my absolute favorite but many people do not like favorite star uh, star wars movie the last jedi there's this critical scene it's sort of one of the movies that really explores the notion of jedi as, as a religion um and that as a religion it's about being instead of God in the Star Wars universe there's this impassable the force right that has the light side and the dark side and um the the one character comes to wise and old grumpy curmudgeonly luke skywalker who's now an old jedi master hermit and wants to know why he won't bring back the old ways of the old jedi order and the first thing that he does is to teach her that the force is bigger than uh 
the Jedi or their religion or their practices or their order, right? So like he has to like sort of basically meditate and and to realize that the force, uh, you know, life is in everything. It's in the rocks and the trees and the plants and in life and in death and in decay, as well as in new life springing up in, in some ways, the way we've been talking about God's presence being woven throughout all of creation. And he says, here's the first lesson to think that if the Jedi go away, the force goes away is nonsense. It's arrogance, right? Like the, the force is there whether or not this uh, particular way of connecting with the force is still there, whether there are people walking around with robes and laser swords doesn't make a difference. The force is bigger than that. And so to me, our conversation has been helpful to say we have to remember God is always bigger than mm -hmm. what at any given moment um, uh, the Christian community you know, put, puts words to and to say that God is always bigger than the Sunday morning gathering or the pastor's sermon or the way we did communion or whether I like the hymns, God is always bigger than that. Um, and yet on the other hand, in that very same scene, there's a moment where um, he tells the the young inquirer, Ray, to reach out. And so she literally sticks her hand out and he goes, no, I meant reach out with your mind. And like, there's this, you need the clarity and the <laughs> concreteness of the community to go, no, I didn't just mean to reach out with your hand, you dummy. Um, and that part of what the, what community does is that we don't start from scratch every day with, well, I have no, how would I even start connecting with God? We don't start from scratch every day. We start with the, the experience and wisdom of the gathered community and holding those together, that God's always bigger than what the community has said or experienced before, but we need a place to start. And that's part of why we hold on to here are the stories that, uh, or here's the, the faith that puts up a guardrail for us so we don't end up in terrible, you know, disastrously bad places. Both of those together have to be held together. I think the guardrail that I like to keep in mind is that sometimes communities together land in a very unhealthy place yeah. and mm -hmm. cults exist. <laughs> right, right, right. So <laughs> perhaps if your community starts having the characteristics of a cult you should maybe leave that community yeah well and mm -hmm. and maybe to spell out just a little bit like what what would that mean that uh maybe the line between a very enthusiastic religious group and a cult like at at a point when you are cut off from don't listen to any other voice don't even consider that they are there or you need to cut off from all relationships from the outside to me, and again, the scriptures themselves helpfully say in the early church, you don't get the sense that the early Christians said we can't talk to non-Christians. That was there was always back and forth. Sometimes that was how you reach your neighbor. How do you tell your, your neighbor about Jesus? But also you meet them where they're at. So Paul starts his sermon at the Areopagus with, you know, I, I saw your statues to other gods. I've come to tell you about the unknown God. And rather than cutting off and saying, I have nothing to do with that outside world. And when when religious groups have that, you can't even listen or talk or pretend that those other groups exist out there. You're headed into cult territory. How about for you, Eric? Are there other guardrails that you find <laughs> helpful in your own either personal theological wrestling or as a leader of a congregation, how you help put up guardrails for both community and community in the unspoken God? I'd say one of my biggest guardrails um, and I, I recently dealt with this is when people base a portion of their theology on one particular verse mm -hmm. of scripture and they have pulled that verse out of the context in which it's written in. Okay. So there was a professor in my seminary. I never had him, but he, he's famous for saying a text out of context is a pretext to make it say whatever you want. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's a lot of, theology out there 
um, not full theology. Like they, they've got a lot of a lot of things right, but there's a lot of theology out there that will pull one particular verse out and say because you know Paul says this here, mm-hmm. this is truth for for every person for all time for all ages. Um, when really that verse, once you read the context that it's in, in the chapter and then in the book and then in the whole of scripture you realize, yeah, that maybe that was for that particular place at that particular time, but not for all people in all time. And to be honest, that point is such an important one, but it's difficult to know. And maybe there's a part of why traditions disagree about things, which are the non-negotiables and which are the, this is context bound, right? And we, I remember years yeah. ago on this podcast and we were talking about scriptures that um, appeared to deal with women's leadership, right? And so like, so mm-hmm. when you get a passage like a uh, second Timothy saying, I forbid women to teach or whatever, uh, again, how you answer the question, is this meant to be for all times and places, or is this one place where one particular set of circumstances leads the author to say this one thing, um, that leads you in different, you know, interpretive directions. And yeah, there are in, there are mm-hmm. Christian traditions that have built an awful lot of their identity on, that's a deal breaker. The heart of the gospel is women can't preach. Um, and uh, again, I, laying cards on the table, I'm intentionally not part of one of those traditions, because I'm convinced that's a that's not a, a faithful uh, way of understanding what Paul or the whole of the New Testament uh, is saying. Um, but it's difficult when we can't even agree on what are the what are the overarching deal breakers? Uh, what are the ones that are worth waving on poster board at the football game? And what are the ones that are? Uh, no, this is a lesser, you know, uh, minor kind of a point. Yeah. And again, I, I think that brings us back to community as part of how we discern that, too, that like um, if. Uh, there's uh, over the broad sweep of history, a lot of people keep coming back to, for example, John 3.16 is like, yeah, boy, this is really at the heart of our, like, again, and we can debate the merits of how much uh, of theology should be built solely on John 3.16 anyway. Um, But like, there is something we keep coming back to about, yeah, God, the notion of God loving the world and that Jesus is about God's love, that seems essential in a way that the commandments about not planting wheat and corn in the same field, does, let's not build our religion around that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And if there's that collective witness over time of, yeah, that seems to be more. And even like I think about that famous uh, passage in, in the Gospels when um, uh, it, it shows up in a couple of different forms. But when someone will approach Jesus and ask, what's the most important commandment? Right. And, you know. When Jesus answered, love God and love neighbor, or when the person a- answered Jesus that way, like that's not really controversial. There was a lot of people, you know, con- converging around that notion in the first century in, in Judaism. And so it's not like Jesus is the first person ever to say loving God and loving your neighbor is important. It's other people asking, you know, this is kind of where we're, you know, uh, uh, coalescing. What, what do you think? And the, even there in the scriptures, you get that sense that the even the Jewish community in which Jesus lived is doing that interpreting together of all the commandments we've got Mm -hmm. what's at the heart of all this what are the ones we hang everything else on and what are the other ones that are on the side um and i think that's an important recognition and maybe even too to 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 your point that it's dangerous to take one thing out of context uh and build everything around one verse the the flip side i think can be important too to imagine that every verse has exactly equal weight as far as yeah, you know, the what what yeah. the gospels are, mm-hmm. you know, and like, uh, I I think again, sometimes Protestants make this mistake when in in defense of the Bible is all we need, we end up saying like every verse is of completely equal weight, and you know, uh, therefore, if I find one verse that says the thing I want it to say, <laughs> um, I can pit that against your other verse, like no. 
what what what's at the heart of this faith of ours and it has to do with jesus uh so the the what what reflects the character of jesus has a certain everything else hangs on that you might say or as jesus says the law and the prophets hang on the commandment love uh, god and love your mm -hmm. neighbor so jesus himself recognizes and sort of reinforces that notion there are some things that are weightier than others because if every verse of the bible has equal weight then how do we like pulling right a verse out of context and fully admitting that how do we weigh bashing our uh, our the babies the the heads of our enemies' babies against rocks right against loving right. God and loving neighbor right right, right. and those to aren't, me, aren't equal to me I yeah, think they're, they're, they're almost opposite right like right. I can't imagine bashing a baby's head and being all like I love you like no right. that's right. not right. a loving action right and right. so yeah one has to have more weight than the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I think this is a classic example. What we're doing right now is exactly why we do this discerning and theologizing in community. So this is why, wh whether it's reading the Bible and how do we wait out scripture verses and you know what what's normative or what's central to our faith, as well as how do we collectively make sense of the world around us that is unspoken or unwritten, we need community help doing that discerning. Um, and yet that also doesn't mean Okay, well, the process is the community meets for a half an hour, and at the end, whatever they come up with as a statement is God's will. Again, there's been lots of times where community has made bad mistakes, too, convinced that God was uh, inspiring their conclusions. We burned witches, convinced that that was God's will. Community decided, and the minority was the witch, so she died. Um, and again, like I, maybe this is part of what helps put those guardrails on, and, and not just the danger of ending up in a cult, but there's the danger of... Um, what they sometimes call the tyranny of the majority, right? You know, so like if for an awful lot of time, a majority of voices that were published uh, were voices that said slavery was okay. Um, and then it became a very profitable mm -hmm. business to come up with theological justifications for why slavery was okay. And you didn't have many uh, voices that at least that were in print uh, saying, wait a second, this is God's uh, not God's will, this is not good. There were maybe a handful of them, but if you reduce it down to community is majority rule or the majority tells us or don't buck what everybody else is saying. So we need to have somehow there has to be room for those outstanding voices. Again, maybe this is the Lutheran in me that you need to be able to say from time to time, here I stand, I can do no other. And to be willing to get kicked out for saying that, whatever it is, the here I stand. Um, but also that you not just say, uh, I'm going it alone. Whatever I come up with is good enough for me. Somehow there's got to be that tension. There's got to be, I'm in community and community doesn't dictate. As much as it feels like that sounds like a conclusion, it feels like the church has tried that over the years, over centuries, <laughs> and we've never gotten it quite right. You know, like in the first several centuries when there were big questions, let's have a big council and everybody will decide. Um, but we, I mean, that had costs, uh, Nicaea and Constantinople, those early councils. And even at that, what are the things that are important enough to have a council over? And what are the things we can disagree about? Hard to know. Um, and just because you have a Nicene Creed at the end of the Council of Nicaea didn't mean that all the people who didn't believe it went away. They were still around. And what do you, what do, you do with them? And when it morphed into, well, we should have a pope who will give us those answers. Clearly, there were ways that went awry. Um, and then the the converse, the the fragmentation of Protestantism and a million different answers to questions, mm -hmm. it feels like that's not a great answer either, where if I don't like this answer that this church gives me, I'll move to the next church and they'll give me an answer I like. Now we've turned Christianity into a consumer product. Yeah, but I think that's, that, that's kind of great because <laughs> communities, culture, people, individuals, we're all fluid. We're not static. We continue mm -hmm. to change and to grow and to adapt. 
And so it makes sense that these big, important questions are things that we continue to wrestle with. Um, and that's good because if we're wrestling with it, it means that we're engaging with it. We are trying to discern for ourselves and for our communities of what is God calling us to do here and now? And that answer for us might be radically different than it was 200 years ago in the same location yeah. um, because things have changed. History yeah. has happened. Um, so it's, yeah, it's we continue to wrestle with those important questions and we continue to try to do, as Anna from Frozen 2 says, the next right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's such a helpful point as I as I hear you say it, because it reminds me the end product of Christianity isn't like one day we'll finally a set we'll arrive at a final set of answers and then we'll have we'll be done. Christianity will be done because we'll get the final set of answers. But more God's end product is is humanity, is is lived lives. Um, and that the vision we get at the end of the scriptures isn't and the book came down from heaven with the final answers, but that there's people gathered with God. And that in the end it's about how do I live this life in a way that um, most fully participates in God's goodwill of justice and mercy and abundance for all? And that allows for there to be variety between how I did it in this moment and how somebody across an ocean a thousand years ago did it and how my great great grandchildren will do it. Well, as promised, we didn't solve it all, but we at least maybe <laughs> reached the point where maybe folks have tools for how they continue reflecting in their own lives. Where God is outside church doors and outside of the printed page, but why we keep coming back to those places as well. And we never graduate from the spoken word as much as we're also led out into the adventure of finding the unspoken God. So join us for new conversations and new series starting next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.